Rob and Katie in the morning. Hey everybody, welcome to our Monday afternoon podcast. We're in our second week in our series, Cross Reference. And today we're gonna to talk a little bit about the suffering of Jesus and how the cross and how the resurrection is the most important part of our faith because everything else is great, but without the resurrection, we're just following a religion, not a, re not a relationship with mm -hmm. Jesus. So we'll get into that in a minute, but uh, we got a big event coming up that I want Katie Stover from our marketing department to tell us about. So this Saturday, May 8th, we have our 13th annual Family Freedom Walk. And if you guys don't know what that is, it's our like biggest fundraiser day of the year. Um, we have Colony grads and Barbara's Place grads come on campus and we just walk around uh, the gym for an hour and uh, raise <laughs> funds for uh, families impacted by addiction. And our addiction recovery ministries are the heartbeat of what we do here. So we have a, a God-sized goal of $125,000 this year. So if you would like to give a gift to the Family Freedom Walk, you can call 1-800-453-7942. You can go on our website, www.americaskeswick.org, or you can mail a check to 601 Route 530, Whiting, New Jersey, 08759. All right, let's get into Isaiah chapter 52, and then 1 Corinthians 15. We're gonna talk a little bit about the cross and the resurrection. So for the second week in our series cross-reference, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 53 and Isaiah chapter 53, and then going into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to talk about the suffering of Jesus. We're going to talk about the cross, we're going to talk about Isaiah, we're going to talk about the prophecies, and we're going to talk about Old Testament promises. So Paul reminds the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians to hold tenaciously to the truths about Jesus' death and his resurrection, not only because they were prophesied in the Old Testament, but they were fulfilled in the new one. And without the death and the resurrection, there's no point to Christianity at all. So I want you to think about this as an application point. The world will try to spiritualize the central truth of our faith, but remember, we have to remember that Jesus did physically die and he did physically rise again because that's necessary for our salvation. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus are the foundation of our beliefs, right? So for us, it seems obvious, but our belief in the fundamentals of Christianity, it slips away really easily. The BBC over in England, they reported that the results of a survey that they commissioned, a quarter of the people who describe themselves as Christians in Great Britain do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Three in 10 Christians, so that's about 31 31% of the Christians that were surveyed say that they didn't believe in life after death. So think about the troubling statistic as we get towards later in the future as more generations come up not believing in some of the major tenets of the faith. So let's read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 and then we'll go back into Isaiah chapter 52. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and I'm going to read what Paul says here. He says something 
that is very interesting, beginning in verse 1. Now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken a stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to other to, to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed." Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did raise did not raise up from the dead. In fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. And if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead and the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through man. For just as one, as, as in Adam all dies, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So uh, Richard Hayes states this about what Paul says. Paul goes back to the bedrock confession in order to make the point that the resurrection of the dead isn't just some idiosyncratic speculation that somebody has, that some people can set it aside uh, if you have more sophisticated type of knowledge. It is, like he says in verse 3, a matter of first importance. It is integral to the part of the angelion the gospel right which makes which why where we take our stand so the resurrection of jesus and the subsequent appearances to the long list of witnesses after he came back from the dead is the heart of which the gospel is proclaimed and without this foundational truth there would be no church that would be there would be no gospel so to hold to the truth of the gospel is the reason why we're saved unless paul says this if this stuff isn't true then the whole thing is a sham and he says we are men most miserable we are the ones that preached in vain so when the New Testament authors speak of scriptures, the majority, when they say, you know, as according to the scriptures, they're going back to the Old Testament. When we speak of scriptures today, we're talking about the sum total text of the Old and New Testament. And this is where the gospel and the, and the word of God comes together in both testaments. The New Testament saints look back at the Old Testament saints. Those of us who have the complete version of the word of God, we look back to all of it. And because scriptures are living and because they're used to check the testimony of the church regarding Jesus, it makes sense that Paul uses scriptures, specifically the Old Testament, to connect the historical promises of God giving us life, God giving us hope, but also because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are all in the Old Testament. So where Paul cites the scriptures without specific reference, 
we have to be able to look at where the references are. So when we look the Ellingsworth and, and, and Hatton in their commentary, they put it this way. Here and in verse 4, it's uncertain whether when it says in accordance with the scriptures refer to the simple fact that Jesus Christ died and was raised or their phrases about for our sins and on the third day, but also because Paul was foretelling what, what happened in the Old Testament. And so in, in order the way the Greek puts it, when it says accordance to the scriptures, it's referring back to what they're talking about before. So what Paul is talking about are things that happened in the Old Testament that are now being given in the New Testament. And so he's bringing it to pass that when we're going to talk about the word of God, there has to be, there must be a correlation with the Old and New Testament. So when we think about these implications, when we think about Jesus' death and in the manner in which it's described, we can find various Old Testament passages that point to the suffering of the Messiah. Many of the passages from the Old Testament suggest that the Messiah that was coming would suffer, that he would die, and that he would be buried, and that he would rise again. Isaiah 52 is one of the clearest passages. So let's read that. So we're going to go Isaiah, and we're going to go to chapter 52, and we're going to begin in verse 13, and then we're going to read right into chapter 53. Okay, so Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13. Here's what the Bible says. See, my servant who will be successful, he will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many of you were, just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was also disfigured. He did not look like a man, nor his form, form remember, had any resemblance of a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, because they, because they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. Who is have, who has believed our? what we've heard, and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, stricken down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace was upon him. Punishment for our peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are all went away like sheep. We have all turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. When we consider the implications of Jesus' death and the manner in which it was described. Again, Isaiah 52 is one of the most clearest passages that we have. Historically, the church has held that Jesus could be understood as the suffering servant in the Isaiah prophecies, right? So the Hebrew scriptures are the key for us understanding God's plan for the coming Messiah. Those ancient living writings required listeners and required teachers and students to be mindful at all times. N.T. Wright says this, the Bible which Paul had known and loved as a young man was like a story in search of an ending. And when Jesus rose from the dead, the ending was now revealed. And this is where it was all going. You need the Bible not at least to remind you of what was, but there's also an ending that was coming, but you need the gospel to remind you that this was the ending that God provided from himself from the very beginning. This is what keeps the Old Testament and the New Testament together. That although it seems like the ending for us, you have to remember that there was a beginning where the ending was already planned out. So it's not a choose your own adventure. 
The ending has been planned by God from the very beginning. So this image of Jesus being a suffering Messiah, you know, it causes a lot of unrest for some people because it doesn't give the impression of there being this valiant conquering Messiah. But when you think about uh, what Chris Tomlinson in a blog, he wrote this, if knowing and treasuring Jesus is our life's greatest goal and joy and sorrow are means towards that end, then we welcome them both with open arms. We may still wince at the pain and rejoice when suffering passes us by, but we embrace them both as satisfactory ways to gain our greatest goal, Jesus. So uh, there's a documentary called Dick Johnson is Dead. It's on Netflix. It came out uh, last year. And Kirsten Johnson grapples with the declining health and, and the mental uh, acuity of, of her father, right? And having gone through what they call the long goodbye as her mother descended into dementia and then died, she sees this journey beginning to happen again in this movie. And so the loss of her kind and gentle father, it just becomes unfathomable for her. So she deals with it the, by... Um, getting help and then also looking at his good humor. And so at the same time, she thinks about the human experiences that she has with this beloved parent. And so she plays a, a lot of tricks on the people who are watching, like making as, as if her father is still okay. But then when she's transported from her father's funeral, it all comes together. And here's what she said about this movie. What I love about this project is that it gave me the chance to bring my father back to life over and over again. So this is the thing. All she wanted to say at the end of the movie was this, I love my father, I love my father. And as we look at the death, burial, and resurrection, what we wanna say is that we love what Jesus did for us. We love Jesus, we love Jesus. The Old Testament prophesizes Jesus' death and resurrection, and the New Testament tells the story of how it all comes about. And so without confidence in the resurrection of the dead, Christianity makes no sense at all. It really doesn't. The resurrection needs to happen. And so what we do know is that Jesus did rise again. He was seen by a lot of witnesses. He stayed on the earth for, for over, over several weeks and then ascends into heaven again in front of a lot of witnesses. Paul says we can trust that, and because of that, we can trust that we will one day rise again. So we just looked at Isaiah and 1 Corinthians, and we spoke a little bit about the cross and the resurrection and how having these truths as our fundamental doctrines of the faith that we know and that we're able to share is really important. It's not just theological truth. It's something that should impact our life. So let's go through some questions to think a little bit more about this. Yeah, so our first one is, why did Paul need to remind the believers at Corinth about their core beliefs? In what ways would Paul's words have been encouraging to some believers and challenging, even correcting to others? So, okay, so you gotta think about the first century context, but then also think about what we go through today. So in the first century context, there were a lot of false teachers and they were in every church and it seems to wind up in all of Paul's letters that this was going on. And so one of the things that, that uh, some groups of people, especially these false teachers called Gnostics, they didn't want to believe in a bodily resurrection. Because if you only have a spiritual resurrection, you can do whatever you want in your body, right? So that therefore, uh, you know, like you can live the way you want because everything is just spiritual and not tangible. So they, they got people to believe tenets of the faith, but also think that they could live the life that they wanted to. So the bodily resurrection shows that Jesus not only conquered sin, it also conquered death, right? Mm -hmm. And so when he challenges them to engage in this core belief, he's telling them that beliefs are important. We don't just like, so today, we don't just go to church because there's a good worship team, or we don't go to church because we fellowship. Those things are great, but if the teaching isn't solid, we shouldn't be at a church like that. Sometimes that's the thing that we'll uh, compromise on. 
because we like everything else. But Paul's saying, bring it back to what it's supposed to be. If you have good teaching, that should lead to good growth, which will lead to the other things. But if you have the other things without good teaching, man, you gotta get to core beliefs. So that could be encouraging to people who've been, especially in the first century, if they've been persecuted from within the church or outside the church because they have these core beliefs, they know they're on the right path. But for some people who have either engaged with these false teachers or just decided it's not important, it would be challenging to them because now they're told, okay, this faith has to be real. It just can't be that I that I attend the church at Corinth. I'm a part of the church at Corinth, which means I have to make sure that the doctrine is correct in my life and also in the life of the church. That's good. Um, Paul references the scriptures as defenses for the belief in Jesus' resurrection. Mm -hmm. Is there an appropriate and an inappropriate way to defend the resurrection? What would each look like? Okay, so an in and incorrect way to, to defend the resurrection would be this. It happened, believe me. You know, like that's but that's how we do it, right? Well, mm -hmm. I believe it. Or you know, God's word said it, I believe it. That's good enough for me, right? That works with me and you, but that doesn't work with somebody who doesn't understand who Jesus is or believes it. So uh, Tim Keller, the pastor of, of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, he writes a lot of books on apologetics, and this is one of the things that he tackles. Why does he believe in the resurrection? Well, because of the evidence because of all the witnesses that were there. But first, and the third, but the most important, is the change in someone's life. That's how Paul argued it. Hey, Jesus was seen by a ton of people after he rose again from the grave. Everybody saw him die, and a lot of people saw him alive. And because of that, they, there's witnesses that lived even in the day when Paul was still living that were able to share. So this actually historically happened. You look at the tombs, there's at least, there's about three that people think that possibly is where Jesus was crucified and the tomb wouldn't have been that far. They're all empty, right? And the third thing is this, my life was changed, your life was changed, mm -hmm. the apostle Paul's life was changed because of the resurrection. So even with, with the, the evidence that's there, don't negate the actual historical evidence, but recognize the biggest evidence is the change in someone's life. But that's way better than saying, well, it happened, you know, like, you know, duh. You know, because <laughs> it, it sounds really condescending. Somebody who's, who's intellectual, someone who, who may just be a blue collar worker, who's like, people usually don't rise from the dead. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a valid question. Mm -hmm. So that's why you have to bring a valid answer. <clears throat> So how might the resurrection of Jesus be a good way to speak to someone who questions the active nature of God? For example, I never see God work in my life, or I don't understand why I have to pray. How has it ever helped? How has Jesus' resurrection pointed you back to the scriptures to better understand the big picture of what God is doing? That's a big question. I know. Right? Okay, so think about this. Christianity only is validated because of the resurrection. It's not just a tenet of our belief. It's everything. If there's no resurrection, we just have another religious story. We just have another martyr. We just have another religious leader. Uh, Paul puts it this way. If there's no resurrection, we are of all men most miserable. Because he's given his life. He was shipwrecked. He, he was tortured. He was beaten to death. All of these things, why? Because he preached not just that Jesus was a good teacher, but that he was the Messiah who died for our sins and rose again from the grave. So it's important because it's what culminates everything. Think about this. Death, thousands, millions of people have died as martyrs because of death, right? Or illness or whatever, right? When someone rises again from the grave, 
That's that's significant, right? So Jesus lead, uh, raising Lazarus from the grave, that was significant, but that was Jesus raising someone else. To be able to raise yourself up <laughs> after you die, what do you do for an encore with that? You know, like that's that's what it is. But so so think about what the resurrection does. The death and the death is what pays for our sins. The burial is what shows that God was actively, he actually died. It wasn't just like he got sick. He died, right? And then when he rises again from the grave, it shows that he has victory over sin and then death. So Jesus not only is able to offer us forgiveness of sins, but eternal life. So if someone says, well, how do you know, how do you see God active? This is where our testimony comes into play. How, how do I know that Jesus rose again from the grave? Because I was blind, now I see. This is who I was before, this is who I was now. This is what the colony guys get to share all the time, right? They, people know who they were before, and it's embarrassing thinking back sometimes about how we were, but then you see how Jesus has brought you through. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. But for me, it, it's encouraging for me because sometimes, you know, you read the, especially for those of us who do it as a vocation, you're going through a rough time and someone says, well, pray. Read your Bible. And you're like, well, gee, thanks. Right now I need like $1,000 to fix my car. How does that make any sense? And then you think about, well, man, if Jesus can raise someone from the dead, surely he's going to provide for me. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? If Jesus can raise himself from the dead, if Jesus can save me from my sins, Mm -hmm. this little problem isn't as big as we think it is. I needed that. Good. It's good. <laughs> I needed that too. <clears throat> Why is it important for Christians to believe in the literal resurrection? How would you paraphrase Paul's reasoning in 1 Corinthians 15 concerning this? I think we just did that. I we think have, so yeah, too. <laughs> but, yeah, but we'll talk about this for a second. So why why is a bodily resurrection so important, right? Why couldn't it just be a spiritual one, right? Well, because you can't validate. So if the Bible says that God, uh, no one has seen God, meaning the Father at any time, right? The visible image of God is who? Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. right? Okay, the indwelling image of God is the Holy Spirit, right? So they're all three distinct persons with all different responsibilities, but it's still one God, three in one. So when you look at the Son and how he rose again from the grave, if it was just spiritual, right? There's no tangible evidence of it, Right? who gets to experience that spirituality, right? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it then be safe to assume only people of a certain spiritual level would see that, right? Someone who doesn't claim to be a believer, not spiritual, how would they see it? If you have no spiritual life, you're only spiritually dead, how would you see a spiritually raised Jesus? Mm-hmm. So he has to be bodily, because remember, he was 100% man and also 100% God. If he only rose spiritually, then that negates the fact that he's the perfect high priest for us who died for our sins. Like, that means, did he just die spiritually? No, if he died physically, he'd have to rise again physically because that's what validates everything. A spiritual resurrection can only be experienced by spiritual people. And Jesus Christ didn't come to save spiritual people. He came to save sinners like us. So it has to be bodily. Mm-hmm. And not only that, just think about it for a second, what's cooler? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I rose again spiritually. Great. Or I, you did what? Like, you know, so the evidence of it, mm-hmm. you know, is it, it's, it's a much more powerful. Because remember, the, the gospel and the Bible is a powerful narrative. It's a powerful book. And so it just kind of like, wah, wah, if it's just spiritual, it, w- it would kind of downplay everything that Jesus said. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's definitely a bodily resurrection. So thanks for joining us. Week two. Can't wait to see you next week.